Welcome to DaVinci's Discourse, where the minds of today's most innovative entrepreneurs are unveiled and explored. And my name is Kyle Campbell, your guide on this journey into the depths of the entrepreneurial psyche. So sit back, relax, and get ready to dive into the minds of the greats. This is DaVinci's Discourse. All right, cool, man. So let's get into it. Dude, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about what you do and who you do it for, and then we can get into the how you do it. Excellent. Love to. So my name is Chris Burns. I've been in marketing for a little over 20 years. And currently I'm a digital marketing consultant. So that means I work with small to medium sized businesses. And my real area of expertise lies somewhere between social media, website design and strategy. There are some other things that I, I do as well under the marketing umbrella, but um, I'm a real big proponent of um, finding the lane to drive in and staying mm. in that lane, trying to be an expert of, of one rather to be a, an expert of many. And really where marketing started for me, it's kind of an interesting story. I feel like I've been telling it a lot lately, but I remember being a senior in high school and having aspirations of wanting to be a college student. And my guidance counselor at the time said, well, probably need to take some business classes if you want to study some form of business in college. So she suggested marketing as one of a few subjects. And I remember thinking in my head at the moment vividly, what the hell is marketing? And I kind of had an idea. It might have something to do with advertising. But at the time, there there wasn't even MySpace back in what would have been 99. And so I was like, okay, sure, fun. You get to work in the school store, get to be in the DECA program, which is like sales competition. And you could take a class trip to New York City. So as a small town kid, I'm like, yeah, this sounds amazing. Let's go. And that inspired me to study marketing in college, worked in and out of a family business for a while. And every job I've had since has had a big proponent of that was marketing. And um, really, when I graduated college in 05, digital marketing was just really becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. So most of what I've learned has been self-taught to this day, but I've been pretty fortunate if you fast forward to... Uh, work in, in the agency world for a while, started my own marketing business. And then just recently, about a year ago, uh, I became a, an adjunct professor of social media marketing at a local university. And uh, really, it's just kind of come full circle for me in the last few years. It's it's so much fun to be in an industry where I get to share my knowledge, my passion, and get to help other businesses simultaneously. Yeah, so let's get into that a little bit. Like, What do you do and who do you do it for? Yeah, so I would say historically, my core client would be small businesses. Okay. But ideally, I'd like to work with bigger businesses because, as you can imagine, typically comes with more experience having worked with outside agencies, bigger budgets, higher um, price tags, maybe. Yeah, that's where my mind Yeah, yeah. Like, but, yeah, but I guess some more money coming in. There fewer of those medium sized businesses would argue that they need to invest in marketing. Whereas I find a lot of small businesses see marketing more as a necessary evil or as a cost center. And they're like, oh, I guess we have to do social media. I guess we have to advertise. Mm -hmm. Whereas the medium, even the larger businesses say we have to and we want to. And we recognize that if we do it right, it should and could generate an ROI. So I've tried to migrate more and more to working with those medium-sized companies. And obviously those are harder to get into, but... Um, they are a little bit easier to work with. And I think regardless of any business I work with, um, especially if it's like e-commerce, it is really easy to take them from point A to point B, B to C and C to D. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm up for any challenge. I work with businesses of all industries. And to me, I think uh, it's a statement that a lot of some people won't love, but good marketing is good marketing and good social media is good social media. So if you have a good strategy, um, what I do for a restaurant client probably isn't a whole lot different from what I do for a chiropractor mm. or say a spa. Now, yeah, the content's different. The style's different. The copy's different. You should be true to your brand. But at the end of the day, if you're consistent, you're active, you're true to your voice, you're providing the, the followers what they want, what they need, it's good social media. It's good marketing. Okay. So is there any platform that you specialize in? No. Uh, so really, m- one of my favorite things outside of strategy is social media. And you could argue that TikTok to YouTube shorts 
I mean, kind of the same thing, but two different platforms. Um, at the end of the day, I don't know that one platform is wildly different. Yes, they all have their own unique algorithms. They all have pros and cons and, and benefits and whatnot. But I really think that if you focus on a couple of things, which is adding value to your followers newsfeed, and you can check the box on these, these couple of things here that I think are really important. in My social media recipe is if you can be entertaining, you can be educational, empowering and or inspiring. Now, empowering and inspiring can be two kind of the same, but if you can do that for your followers on a pretty regular basis, there's no one post that's probably gonna check all those boxes. You will have added value to your followers newsfeed consistently over and over and as a byproduct, they're gonna wanna do business with, with you when you launch a new product or service. And therefore, when I think about social media, I don't think about needing to specialize in one platform because if I create a vertical video for TikTok, that same vertical video, most likely, and in most cases, you can use on Twitter, which is now X, you can use on YouTube shorts, TikTok, Facebook and Instagram reels, and so on and so forth. Right. So yeah, I don't so really believe the, so much in, in one as in it one is platform. in yeah, no, I get it. strategy. A hundred percent. Because like one of the things I do with this podcast is I'm splitting up the clips so that one clip could be used for, for you know, and I'm using AI to do it in an instant. So I just feed it a podcast and it's able to find all the key points and then say, okay, so this is 30 seconds for a YouTube short. Uh, this is five minutes for a YouTube video. This is 60 seconds for an Instagram video and it, it automatically resizes them all. And so I don't have to really do anything. I just import them into my box. My bot posts them out on all the social media platforms and I don't have to do a thing other than have these conversations. And so that's the the ultimate repurposing and leverage that I, I am passionate about. Um, when it comes down to, you said to make things educational and entertaining, what are some ways that we can go about doing that when it comes to creating the content? Yeah, so for, first and foremost, so many businesses... And it, it's going to sound like I'm uh, avoiding your question, but I'm not. So many businesses think the purpose of social media is to sell, but it's mm. not. Mm. So many businesses want the outcome of their social media to sell of a post, not even just their strategy or maybe a campaign. And that to me is the exact opposite way of going about it. Whether you're in retail, whether you're a spa or a doctor, chiropractor, I mean, any industry, first and foremost, social media is about really building awareness. But more importantly, before you can do that, you want to cultivate relationships. Because in my opinion, especially in small businesses, sales is so much predicated on relationships and or warmth. We don't typically buy a software. We don't typically buy a expensive widget without doing some research. And typically, it unless it's an impulse purchase product, which are those that are typically $20 or $25 and under, it's unlikely I'm gonna to go to some unknown website and just buy something and hope that it's gonna change my business. So it's really important you think about that because what is gonna warm up a prospect to your business, your product, your service, whatever it is you're, you're trying to position yourself as? And so to me, I think there's a couple ways I can do that. One with my positioning statements, which is your, your written words, maybe a tagline, maybe a, a guarantee, maybe a promise of some sort. But typically where people are going to discover you is on social media. So if they see an ad or someone shares a post and they say, wow, that's pretty cool. Before they even go to your website, they audit you and they audit your business. So I say you, like if I'm a personal brand, which by the way, I am trying to build a personal brand. Um, they're going to go to my social media. They're going to go LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. And they're going to try to quantify whether or not I am qualified to be their marketing consultant or if I am qualified to sell them the CRM software that I claim is the best. And so if you can build warmth and eventually authority, which you do by typically educational content, by positioning yourself as a thought leader. So when I say education, which entertainment can be wrapped into that too sometimes. Uh, they're not always both unique. Uh, I am sharing my knowledge rather than putting it behind a paywall or reserving it for client meetings. Um, I give away the farm almost always. And some people don't like that. Um, I'll, I, though we'll historically leave breadcrumbs of means 
everywhere I go, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving positive information that most mm. people maybe couldn't find without talking to an expert. And so I do that because people want to work with the best. They want to work with people who are the most passionate. When you're the most passionate, you tend to be the most knowledgeable. When you're the most knowledgeable, you tend to be perceived as the best. And so I, I'm oftentimes focusing on positioning myself and my company as the thought leader because people say, well, they're trustworthy. You know, if, when it comes down to social media, if there was a platform shutdown or a platform outage or a new platform that's emerging, I can trust that if I hire Chris, he will have the answers to what I should do next. And so really that that's my focus is to always be putting content out there and be visible because as if you were to look at it and challenge me and say, oh, Chris, I don't like that. Well, how is being invisible going to benefit you? Because there are a lot of people I talk to who are older than me, who are 45, 55, 60, and like, they just don't like the idea of being on camera. They don't like the idea of this vertical video stuff. But how successful are you going to be being invisible? Mm. And yeah. why wouldn't you want to be a thought leader? Like what, you're just going to focus on sales? Who likes consuming salesy promotional content? I don't. I avoid it. And I usually unsubscribe and unfollow people who do that. Interesting. I feel like a lot of people do too. Um, Joe Polish talks about the distinction between being a thought leader and being a result leader. Uh, have you have you thought about that differentiation at all in terms of, mm -hmm. um, because anybody can come up with a thought, as he says, but it, not a lot of people can come up with a result for their clients. So when it comes to sharing this content, what's what's your thought process in terms of delivering a, a result for it for the people? And then how do we structure and build this content without taking up all the damn time in the world? Yeah, so I'm going to actually argue why, why I don't think that's necessarily the best thing. Nobody cares and nobody wants to hear me say I'm the best. So when I talk yeah. about my results, people don't really give a crap. They, they really don't. No, exactly. Uh, for their I, results. I can, yeah, right? What's in it for them? I, that's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. I can. And you, you could argue a lot of businesses should say we're better than or I'm the best in class. I don't get to say that the consumer gets to choose who's best in class. So I can talk about my results all I want with right. white papers and case studies, but I'm telling you what, people don't read that stuff today. They don't read no, that people stuff. People don't anymore. give a shit what you've done. It's, it may be a little bit for authority, but the result leadership that I'm talking about is the result that yeah. you can provide for clients based yeah. on the content so, that you produce. Let me rephrase. I think what I think you're trying to get at there and Maybe maybe I'm misinterpreting or misunderstanding what you're trying to say, but I would say that the most important thing would be social proof. So social proof to me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a quick story on this. I was looking at potentially hiring a coach, like a consultant for myself, and I come across this individual who I wanted to secretly have on my podcast, and I ended up with one of his, I don't know, we'll call him sales directors, and I ended up getting to him in a final meeting. And the, the, the price tag was, I think, $15,000 for three months, which seemed a little steep. And I said, you know, I went to your website and I couldn't really find any information. I was looking for this, this and that. And he's like, well, did you watch any of the videos? And I said, yeah, I watched a couple. And by the way, I saw some really big name people I wasn't expecting who you clearly have worked with. He said, yeah, well, there's 125 videos from clients on my website. And there's 75 more in the hopper we're going to be producing. He said, so if anyone has any questions about whether or not we can deliver results or whether or not we're trusted or credible or whatever it might be, he said, just watch any one of those videos from some of these people who are already have $10 million companies. And if that doesn't sell you, nothing will sell you. And if that doesn't sell you, I don't want to work with you. And I said to myself, the power is in the social proof, which is the results. So I don't talk about results because people expect if they're going to hire me that I deliver results. So by me telling them that it's like, okay, well, should they believe me if they don't know me? No, but they should believe it if they see a ton of social proof on my website. And I'm not just talking about written testimonials. I'm talking about videos. I got clients you, made yeah, yeah. See, I think uh, and we so were, that, that's there was what a misunderstanding I would focus on. there because I'm not talking about the results that you've gotten for other clients or for you've gotten for yourself. I'm talking about 
People only care about the results that you can get for them. And I'm yeah. asking when it comes to creating content, what are some ways that you can create results for people before they even hire you as a client so that they can see and feel what it's like to be a client um, before they've ever actually interacted with you? Directly? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for, for clarifying that. So a couple of things is one in the past, what I've done is I've, if I found a client, a couple of them that I really, really wanted to work with. So I, I kind of always have this wish list of like, you know, these are the five companies here that I would love to have as a dream client. And what I'll do is I'll go to Loom, which is loom.com. It's a screen recording tool. And I'll either A, go through their website myself and do what I call a scroll test. Or B, um, I might use a tool like uh, Google PageSpeed, or I might use uh, Ahrefs. I'll, I'll use a tool where I can analyze their website. And I'll be able to look at real data from a tool that's it's pretty high end, pretty comprehensive and robust. And I'll be able to say like, hey, have you struggled with your website? Is your website not generating the results you want? Mm, mm. Well, I use this tool to analyze your site and this is what I'm seeing. So if you, you kind of connect the dots, I did this for a client that was in the uh, outdoor backpacking, hiking industry. They just redesigned a brand new website and they were about to hire us for to run some ads. And, um, I said to him, I'm like, you know, a couple things I would look at. And then I ended up creating this video. And I said, if, if you're not driving the conversion rates you want, it's because your checkout process takes about four steps longer than it needs to. And ultimately, it's be, there's more friction involved in the process. It's more cumbersome. Therefore, you're highly likely to have a very high abandoned shopping cart rate. And what do you know? The guy calls me back the next day. He's like, how did you know we had a high abandoned shopping cart rate? He <laughs> said, because you're like the opposite of Amazon. I could buy something just the opposite of to Amazon. Alexa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I said, you need to make the process. He's like, well, we use Shopify and well, we use this web designer. I'm like, I, I don't care. Shopify is great, which means technically you should be able to solve this problem pretty quickly and easily. But let me tell you what the consumer wants. And I don't care if it's your industry, my industry, B2B, they want easy. They want to be able to purchase something as fast as possible and as simple. So maybe it's checking out as a guest, which you didn't have as an option. Maybe it's Apple Pay, which you didn't have as an option. And so whatever the process is, I say, hey, here are a couple of things I would look at. And you know, if you want some advice, honestly, you could probably have your in-house person fix this in a matter of two hours. And all of a sudden we've built this warmth and this trust. It's like, I don't need to make $200 from that. You can do it. And then, oh, by the way, once you have that fixed, I can make sure that your ads are converting about four times greater because, oh, by the way, if I'm going to run ads right now and I'm going to drive a, a crap ton of traffic to your website, they're going to fail. So while you're going to say, well, geez, well, your ads must be good. Why aren't people buying stuff? Well, it's because there's something in the middle, which is the checkout process that's not working. So I help people look th at things holistically and connect those dots. And I'll, I'll do it sometimes through a phone call, through an email, through a Loom video. And I'll just share my knowledge for free because I, I don't care if I make that $200. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not withholding that information. I feel like if I give away the information and they still don't hire me, you know what? When they do have a need at some point, those dividends will be paid because they'll call me or they'll they'll refer me to somebody else. And so I'll oftentimes couple couple times a month probably as I'll do something like that for someone I have on my my dream list and just try to build some warmth, which would be the opposite of what happens in my LinkedIn inbox where mm. every day I get about 10 people trying to sell me the thing that it is that I sell to my clients. As funny as that sounds, I get a lot of spam, but I'm more focused on thought leadership and building trust and authority. But I do that through thought leadership. And I know that word thought leadership can be misconstrued sometimes, but it's thought expertise. It's sharing my knowledge and passion with people with the purpose to help first, not to sell. Right. With the purpose to produce a result for them. Exactly. So we're talking about the same thing at the end of the day. Yep. Um, you talked about how you view it as a holistic process. It's one process to you, not a whole bunch of processes split up. Um, tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. And also, what the hell is a scroll test? Ah, yeah. So let, let's talk <laughs> about the scroll test first. So yeah, scroll test is uh, one of two things is when you look at social media, I always ask people when I, I get a chance to speak on stage a lot is what stops the scroll? 
Mm, so okay. people that are younger than me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 42 here in a few weeks. So I, I go through social media pretty fast, but my, I have a 16 year old in the house. He goes through social media, like boom, 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 boom. If he's on TikTok, he's not giving a video maybe two seconds before he decides whether he wants to keep watching it or scroll to the next one. So you have to think about with an influx of content. I mean, there's more content out there than we have time to consume on any given platform. So what's going to stop someone from scrolling? So I do a scroll test often if a client wants to hire me or I'm considering maybe reaching out to a client, I'll go through one or two different platforms and I'll see if it passes the scroll test. Meaning a couple things. One, do they have unique creative content? What I mean by that is, is the content colorful, vivid? Are they using stock photos, which would be the opposite? Um, that would be akin to not trying. Um, do they showcase their people, their company, their culture? I don't want them to just talk about their product or the service they're selling. I want to know about the company, right? I want to get to know them, especially if they sell a product that is more expensive or has a longer sales cycle. Mm. You don't just sell things like that to people who don't care to get to know you. The longer the sales cycle, the more you have to hit them with different types of content and not just about selling the product or service you sell. Um, I also look for things like copy. Um, do you really carefully craft your copy, which is the written word? Because if you can stop the scroll with your content, then the next thing is people will read the copy. And if you've then captured their attention, they're gonna do one of a couple things. They might now follow your page, or if you're lucky enough, they might click that call to action button, which could be a digital download, could be an app download, it could be a link to your website or a specific landing page, or maybe you hit the lottery and they buy the product that you're trying to sell. But ultimately, you have to stop the scroll and you stop the scroll with your content. And I, I want to say that again, because content could be an image, so a high end piece of photography could be a graphic design post, which is a little less likely because the platforms don't like graphic design posts. They like unique content, which is either a photo or a video. They certainly like vertical video. Um, platforms like LinkedIn do like blog posts, which would be basically a LinkedIn newsletter, but most platforms don't. And most platforms don't like it when you're sending traffic to a third party site like a YouTube or somewhere else. So you have to be careful about how you link, but using a, a diverse content mix. So, which means you're always hitting me with different stuff. You're hitting me with a link to your blog post. You're hitting me with a vertical video. You're hitting me with a podcast, short form, long form, written word, et cetera. That would be a diverse strategy that's gonna keep me interested because um, if you're always doing the same thing over and over, I'm gonna tune you out on one or multiple platforms. So uh, those are a couple of things I'm looking for. Now that would be uh, like the start of when I do an audit, I do a scroll test just to kind of see does it pass my eye test. Uh, the second part of your question, could you repeat that? Uh, it's going back to how you view marketing as a holistic process as opposed to something that's individualized. Yeah. So how do you think the overarching thought process that goes into that? Because I agree with you. It's a holistic, uh, it's a single unit that's uh, a lot of people look at as, as a whole bunch of individual units, but there's an overarching um, mindset that goes into seeing it as one. How do you think about mm -hmm. that? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't think that marketing should be siloed from any other part of the business. So, for example, I had this meeting this morning with a couple executives and I said that so often one of the reasons why marketing is not as strong as it could be is because it's it's deemed as being siloed. It's like, well, we need this from marketing rather than proactively working with sales, proactively working with HR mm. or any other part of the company. It's like, okay, well, marketing should help you with your talent acquisition and talent retention. It should help you with your community outreach and maybe community donations and things like that. It should help you with your sales. It should help you with your awareness. So there are so many spokes to this bicycle wheel that, yeah, it needs to be actively, proactively integrated into the company to be able to support all of the arms that make up your organization. So when I say holistic, I often refer to my marketing and my marketing strategies as a recipe. And this started from a, a book that I'd writ uh, written a long time ago and I say that if you travel the world and you ask people in any continent, any country, what is, a, what is your recipe for chili? You're literally gonna get 
probably tens of thousands of variations, none right, none wrong. A lot of them are, are based on culture. They're based on taste preferences. It's based on what you proverbial have in the pantry and just what's available in general. So when I say recipe, it's important because if you omit one or two ingredients, you're not going to get the best outcome, the taste profile that you're looking for. Mm. Probably still editable, edible, I should say, but not the best tasting chili that you hope for. So when you put together this recipe, you have to ask yourself, okay, what do I have available? So not every small company has a massive advertising budget. Not every company has three people on their marketing team. Not everybody has the capability of creating video, at least maybe not yet. And you could, you could say that about a lot of different things. So ultimately I say, okay, here's, here's my strengths. Here's my weaknesses. Here's what I have in the pantry. Here's what I want as an outcome. Here's my bandwidth. So the amount of time you have should be in line with what your expectations are from your marketing. And you put together this recipe and everything is kind of related to the next thing. Um, so when I talk about content, when I talk about advertising, when I talk about messaging and positioning statement. So when I see this recipe, I see a strategy that has several components. And the strategy so often starts with a vision. And I'll tell you, this is what's really interesting, Kyle, is that when I start working with clients, I'll ask them, what's your vision for this year? And even though this calendar year, as we record this, there's only a few months left, but even if it were in the middle of the year, the answer looks a lot like this. They're looking around, they're like, well, um, you know, I guess I, I'd like more downloads. Um, it'd be cool if I could get a, like a sponsor for the show. Mm. You know, we obviously want more sales. And, um, and I'll These ask are tactical them, are you just, yeah, are you just making stuff up? Like, well, no, yeah, no, course, no. Because well, they don't yeah, have the what we, vision. And so they, they're answering exactly. with tactical answers, right? Yeah. So yes. the question so becomes, when I create a pot how of, do you, okay. So, well, the question really becomes, how do you formulate that vision? And how do you know that it's the right vision and the most optimal vision for your company? Hey, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I want to let you know that I've got a free book that you can get if you want to tap into more of these resources. And you can get that for free at kylesbook.com. Back to the podcast. Now, that, now that's a tough question. I don't know if we have enough time to, to dive as deep into that one as I want to, but you have to stop and think, what do I want? So if you're an entrepreneur or solopreneur, it's really important that you look at both your personal life and your professional life, because you have to balance, you have to have balance. That to me is really important. I have three children. I try to coach my children's sporting teams if and when I can, I try to be home to make dinner, I like to pick up my kids from school. I can't do everything, but those are some things I like to do. I'd, I, that is a personal goal of mine is just to be very active and very visible in my kid's life. So if I say, you know, I want to make a million dollars this year, well, that's not realistic. And it also probably isn't going to align with the things that I'm trying to do right now. Now, if I said that for a goal for three years from now, great. But I'm talking about a vision for the foreseeable future, which is in the future we can touch. It's in, in the next 12 months. And so this is what I want to achieve personally and professionally. And I'm raising the bar just enough so that applies some pressure, hmm. but not so low that it's like, well, you know, whatever, I'm going to beat that no matter what. So that, that's kind of one of the tricks is, okay, once you can crystallize what it is that you want personally and professionally, then we start to get into um, some other things. So we start to talk about goals. So what are the, the three goals you want? And I, sometimes two is enough. Four is definitely too many, especially if you're a solopreneur. And again, we're talking about very, very much smart goals. So what is the time in which you hope to achieve these? And hopefully we're talking about this quarter or this calendar year. Um, how realistic is it that we can achieve these goals? And again, same thing. Does this apply enough pressure so that I'm gonna be motivated to get it done? And then we start to talk about, you know, if, if this is a marketing specific strategy, what platform should I be on? And believe it or not, the answer is not all of them because you try to be everything to everybody, you become nothing or you end up doing things so badly that it makes you look worse than being invisible, right? Because there's spelling errors and there's you know, messaging is all over the board. 
But in that process, too, use AI, also baby. Look, no spelling errors yeah. with AI. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, but one of the really content, important things AI. that I, I love AI too. I'm a big proponent of that. And that certainly comes in at some point. But one of the things that I think is really important that so many solopreneurs miss is their positioning statement. Um, mm. So I use positioning statement and elevator pitch almost kind of two in one um, and why it's important. So for years, I, I really struggled introducing myself. When I worked for the agency world, I, I would go to networking events and I would, I would do networking calls and I, I owned other businesses at the time. So I was like, oh, I don't really like talking about myself. I don't, I don't know how to talk about myself without sounding arrogant or coming off the wrong way. So I tried to make it as quick as possible. And I was very not compelling. Let's just say that. And finally, I realized I'm like, well, I'm a marketing guy. I need to have something compelling because I'm creative, right? I'm a creative person. So finally, I realized I'm like, well, shit. I mean, there's thousands of people that do exactly what I do. I'm in a sea of sameness. So I finally came up with something. And with the help of AI, I... I started using this tagline, which is, I make marketing so easy, it's fun again, so easy, you'll have mm. no excuses. Mm, and like that. that that very much became thought-provoking and question-provoking. People like, you don't do, no, you can't do that. No, it's it's so hard, especially older people would say, I don't get it. I, like, I can't keep up with social media. So I knew I was onto something, but I knew that alone wasn't going to be enough. So my positioning statement was, hi, my name is Chris Burns. I'm a digital marketing consultant. I work with small to medium-sized businesses. And my promise is to make social media or digital marketing so easy it's fun again, so easy you'll have no excuses. Or so easy it's fun, so easy you'll have no excuses. And you know, there's some variations of that as well that can be a little bit longer or shorter. Or uh, I can use, talk more broadly about my services. But I want it to be short. And I want it to be both creative, thought-provoking, and I want it to be question provoking because when you introduce yourself or as your website, someone hits your website, you're introducing yourself to them. That's your first impression. Whether you like it or not, that's what's happening. And they're vetting you even upon that first visit. So what are you telling them? We're best in class. Oh, the best CRM software service. Well, you don't get to decide that, like I said before. So I have this model, I call it good, better, best philosophy. So if you're good, you're average. If you're better, you're above average. And if you're best, you should be different. So different is best. Better is good. And average is to me below average, right? Or good is average. So think about that. If, if you think you're the best and you want to position yourself as the best, how do you position yourself as different? So I've made a claim, which I truly believe I can, I can back up. I've got a lot of different framework to do that, where my goal is to demystify marketing, specifically social media and strategy. And I do that. I help my clients. I give them a foundation and I can walk you through all about how I do that. I'm doing, we're doing a little bit of that right now. And I've made a claim to, to make things so easy. It's fun. And I can tell you when things are easy, they're fun. And when you're generating results, it's more, more than just fun. It's empowering, right? And so how do you do that? So there are HVAC companies that talk about, you know, uh, 24 hour service or it's free. That's a pretty bold claim like that. That could potentially be something. And we could certainly uh, we could certainly make a couple up on the fly. But what kind of promise are you making that differentiates yourself from the pack? And I heard a good one today talking about Simon Sinek talking about the Four Seasons hotels. And he said they didn't promise to have the best beds because every hotel promises to have comfortable beds. They didn't promise to be the cleanest because everybody promises to be clean, but they made a promise to have the best experience. Mm. And he said, not only was it the best experience for the guests, it was a great experience for the employees. He said he went to the, the coffee shop inside the hotel and he said, honestly, the experience of buying a cup of coffee was so different. And so, so amazing. Like just, there was so much energy there with the person who helped him that he left a hundred percent tip. And he said, you really love your job, don't you? And the, the gentleman said, yeah, I, I love my job. And he said, can I ask what it is you love about your job? He's like, you know, 
the leaders, he said, every one of them, mm. they, they stop by multiple times a day and they say hi to me and they ask me how I'm doing. And they, they don't tell me what to do, but they ask me what they need from me, meaning like the manager asks, like, what can I do for you to make your job easier, to make your life easier? And he's like, it just makes life so great. He's like, I just, I'm excited to, to brew coffee for all my clients. And so that to me is like, how do you create that experience and how do you position yourself as exactly that? And I think today, if you can provide experiential marketing and you can talk about how your experience, your customer service, don't I like to think beyond service, you can be truly different and you can be truly impactful. And as a byproduct, people will want to pay more. Mm. I, I'm happy to pay more for something if I know I'll have an amazing experience. And amazing because I say most experiences are probably subpar. Okay, so let's say that I'm an entrepreneur watching it and I'm curious, okay, so I get that and I buy into the factor that, okay, if I can make it an experience for my clients that is unlike any other, how do I go about creating that experience? How do I go about crafting that so that it is different so that I can be the best? Yeah, so you you have to think about a couple of things. One, what what is your area of expertise? So mine is marketing. Um, I remember when I was looking at all of the things that I did. And I thought at the, for the time being, if we, if we rewind 10 years, I was a social media guy. That was kind of my thing. I knew a lot about algorithms. I could tell you, I mean, I could talk for hours about the social media and Instagram, Facebook algorithms and how to rank higher and how to, you can't beat the algorithm, but how to do that, so to speak. And what I realized was that people didn't really care about that. It was too complex. What, what was the thing that people wanted the most? And I realized a couple things in my world. The pain points were a lot of these businesses, traditional businesses needed a strategy, but they didn't necessarily know it. And also having a strategy, you kind of need someone to manage that, right? Strategy means nothing unless you're implementing. So I said, that's one thing I can focus on, a strategy, but I have to make it easy. Otherwise people won't use it. And so if I make it easy, then how do we implement? So I focused on that as being a big thing. Um, number two, I talked about with social media being very results oriented and being very transparent because there are a lot of agencies that I shouldn't say a lot. There are some that don't provide regular reporting. Now, if you don't provide reporting, I can't help but think you're not producing results and you're not being very transparent. But if you're being transparent, you can have a conversation with your client about how to improve things, right? And uh, you can put your best, best foot forward. So I kind of made a couple promises about, well, I can work on strategy. I can work on the implementation of that while also making it really easy. And I can do the same thing with social media. So you have to kind of ask yourself, what makes your framework different? Or what are all your competitors doing? And I might go mm, as far see, as that's where depending like on your industry, yeah, you start I might go through 20 of your competitors. When I say competitors, if I'm an agency, mm. I might look at some PR companies. I might look at some videographers. They don't have to be exact, but find some companies that you kind of aspire to be, or maybe that you look up to and respect. Or some and they should be a mix of, yeah, a, a mix of local, regional, and national make a spreadsheet and say, you know, what is, what are their positioning statements? What are their promises? Mm. What are some things that could be pain points that they're hitting on that I'm not? And you could take a look at that and you could say, wow, everyone's focusing on timeliness. Everyone's focusing on metrics. Everyone's focusing on price or whatever it might be. And you could say, what is the one thing everyone's missing? And, and can I hit on that? So I think about the things I'm passionate about which is strategy, I'm passionate about results, and I'm passionate about really creating good relationships with my clients, making things fun and easy. So that all works with the, some of my core values and some of my vision. And then you have to ask yourself, you know, what I'm seeing in this spreadsheet, is there opportunities that align with what I'm doing and where I wanna go? And then how do I work some of those things into my positioning statement? And so I can tell you right now, it was pretty easy for me because most marketers aren't super transparent. Most of them don't make it easy and fun because if they did made it, make it easy, they'd be out of a job. But I actually want to be fired. I tell my clients this all the time. My goal is for you to fire me within a year or less. 
And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? And I said, well, if I can educate, empower, and inspire you, um, you're, this is going to go so well. And for not all cases, but in most cases, we're going to walk away from this relationship saying, wow, you know, you really made an impact with us so much that we're able to bring it in-house. Or maybe we'll, we'll hit you back in a year or two and we need you again. And then they go and they, they sing my praises to everyone else they talk to. Word of mouth, referral. So I'm, I'm creating advocates by them firing me. And so I don't need to keep a client forever. If I really do my job, they'll come back and rehire me when they need me. And so, I, again, I'm thinking outside the box. I'm, I'm reverse engineering everything that my competitors are doing, and I'm looking for a competitive advantage. And they're out there, but you just have to look. You have to look at the landscape and the marketscape and say, how can I be different? What is something all these people, all these organizations are not doing? Mm -hmm. And that could be LinkedIn profiles, could be websites, could be social media profiles. And I'm telling you, you'll, you'll see it. You don't have to be super creative. I'm not the most creative person in the world, but there is opportunity out there if you just put some time into the research part of it. And that is a big part of this, this whole recipe is positioning because if you're the same you're a commodity and if you're a commodity i mean why, why should i hire you right then that's when so the you have to stand out coming in i mean people start hiring you off price rather than uh, the efficacy of your service um when it comes down it's to not the good research, either oh of course right and and i like that i mean like when it comes down to positioning what comes to mind is the whole pepsi versus coke thing and pepsi found a, a hole in the market which was the youth and so they they positioned almost wholeheartedly around the youth, uh, whereas Coca-Cola was for the, the old folks. So they positioned Coke as, as for old people and Pepsi for the new generation, right? And so that's all positioning based around what the competitor is doing and and, and positioning yourself in, in the most optical, uh, optimal way to do that. Uh, the question becomes, how do you do that research so that you can have that optimal positioning? Um, when, when you're researching, for example, let's say your elevator statement or your vision statement, um, where do you start when it comes to researching? And then how would somebody replicate something like that? Yeah, so the the best way of thinking about it is Remind yourself that it's probably forever a work in progress, just like your strategy is, just like your tactics are. And if, if, it, if it does stay the same for a long period of time, um, that's your first problem. So you have to recognize that whatever you craft right now could look vastly different in six months or a year. And your business should and will evolve. Therefore, your tagline, your positioning statement, your strategy should evolve. So think about what is it now? And you should have one if go to your website and maybe you don't even know what your positioning statement is, but to me, it would be likely something in one of the headers of your website, or it would be H1 or H2 text, which is typically the big bold text on one of the main pages of your site. What is that message that you're giving the world, whether you like it or not, or know it or not, what is, what are you saying? Like, right. See, like welcome to our website is, is the opposite of what you're talking about, which is interesting because I'm looking at it as what's the one thing that's going to be permanent. Um, for example, Nike, just do it. Uh, they're, they're able to have one tagline mm -hmm. that they can position towards any marketing campaign moving forward. But, you know, Nike as just do it. Um, so mm -hmm. I disagree with you there. What do you think about that? That's what okay. Yeah, I, I, I so like you, that so we can just, disagree. I love it, man. I love it. I think it. that so what you, you're referencing is a tagline, though. Um, and a, a tagline is also important. There, there yeah. can be crossover. It can be the same. But I'm thinking about if I'm hiring a company, not so much a consumable, disposable right. product, which you could argue shoes or hats or T-shirts are. They do a phenomenal job with marketing. So I can't say what they do is, is right or wrong. But if you're looking to hire a service-based company or maybe potentially purchase the software. What is the promise that a company is making? You know, are they going to make it easy? See, that's what are they streamlining communication what are you known for, right? What's that one thing that you're known for? Exactly. Um, and so often, you know, you'll get a little bit of that on social media, but if I'm even considering hiring your company, I go to your website. And a lot of times the positioning statement is, the header text on a website and it's more like welcome to our website or um crm software for small businesses like what the hell does that even mean like how how is that positioning yourself but that's the message i'm seeing because that's the first thing on the top of the site 
And whether you know it or not or like it or not, that is the first thing I'm seeing. In addition to probably a stock photo, which is not also doing you any favor. So you think about positioning along with what is that first impression, which is your visual. So the two do go together very seamlessly. And the same would be true if I reached out to you on LinkedIn and I'm like, hey, Kyle, um, I'd really love to get you into my marketing mastermind, which, by the way, I don't, I don't have one. First thing you're going to do is go to my, web, my profile and you're going to you're going to scan that whole thing starting with my header image and say, well, who is this guy? What does he even do? Then you're going to look at my description, my title. Hopefully you'll see I'm verified and I've got some cool stuff. Hopefully that you think I do. And by the time you get down to my work experience and some of the testimonials, you'll have a pretty decent impression of whether or not you think I'm a trustworthy guy, whether or not I know my stuff. And if, if I've continued with my positioning statements to make that sound interesting and trustworthy for you, then you'll probably go to my website. Maybe you'll read that offer that I made you and um, you might want to continue the conversation, but it's in that one-to-one -one DM, it's my profile. That's my positioning statement. Mm. So positioning to me so comes in a lot of different shapes and forms, not right. just a statement that you use once or twice. I, I like to have multiple statements because so often uh, whether it's a nonprofit or a company that has several revenue streams, you might have four or five different target markets. So you might sell B2B, you might sell B2C, you might also sell the nonprofit, you might sell the enterprise, might sell school systems. Every market, every customer base might need a, a slightly different message. So you might have maybe a different positioning statement for each one. Well, of course, and hopefully you're niching down into just something specific. So you're not hitting yes. all of those with the same message, right? I mean, of course. Um, have you read the book, uh, Positioning by Jack Trout and Al Reese? No, I haven't. But uh, that's one of about 20 in my queue on, uh, on Amazon and Audible. Oh, okay. Yeah, man. Killer book when it comes to positioning. It talks about, uh, well, for example, the Coke and Pepsi story. A brilliant, brilliant book. It's a classic. Yeah, check that out, man. 100%. Um, so Have you moving... seen the documentary, Hey, uh, Pepsi, Where's My Jet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. I see the interesting marketing that ended up... Actually, it didn't backfire on them because they got a whole shit ton of free publicity from it. And they, the guy didn't even end up getting any money from them. He got like five grand at the end of the day. So, you know... It yeah. didn't work, but uh, I, I like the marketing. It was interesting. Um, the idea behind it was was fascinating. And Buddy Dude tried to abuse it. <laughs> that was a funny episode. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, moving forward into the, the future of marketing, where do you think AI is going to take place in it? Well, I think it already has. Um, I would say that, you know, there's a lot of debate on AI, but what's really interesting about this whole conversation is that the vast majority of us have been using AI for several years. Um, it's shown its face in Alexa. It's shown its face in Google Home and things like Nest and, and Eero. There are a lot of different platforms we're already using in our homes Google that Maps. have some I mean, level no. of AI built in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go on and on. But where it's primarily known now is through things like MidJourney and ChatGPT. Yeah. And if you're even remotely interested, I, I would say get it. Try it because... It's in Canva now. It is almost everywhere and it's not going to go away. But what, I, what I'm so fascinated by is that since it came to where it is now, it's become vastly more intelligent. And as I'm learning, the more I give it, the better the output I get. So I'm starting to create some frameworks for outputs that I want. Uh, the more backend information I can give it about me or about the company I'm trying to do something for, mm -hmm. far better the output is. And so I'm really excited to see where it goes. But I mean, even just recently, LinkedIn, I think maybe six weeks ago, they introduced um, AI Assistant, which is built into the post function. So if you wanted to go create a post on LinkedIn, whether it be through your phone or through your desktop, there is a prompt that'll pop up that says, would you like AI writing assistance with this? Um, I've used it a few times, but so often when I go to post something, I know what I want to say. So I don't always use that, but I'm telling you what, it, it is really good. And we are just scratching the surface no kidding, on what man. the capabilities are. No I think kidding. you'll see it in every platform. 
I think also, if you're looking for a competitive advantage with your digital marketing, mm. use it now because it's going to be just like TikTok, where when TikTok was be when Musically was becoming TikTok, let's call it five years ago, maybe. I had some colleagues who were posting videos occasionally, and they would wake up some days with a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand views, thousands of engagements, and now everybody's on it. Now there's more and more competition and that to get those results are a lot harder, but they were creating their audience then and now have hundreds of thousands of followers versus those who are doing it now. We're like, oh, why can't I get a thousand followers? This is so hard. Well, should have been an early adapter. And that is one of the mindsets that I try to get a lot of my clients to, to think about is you don't have to love it and you don't have to use it, but you should understand what it is and what its capabilities are. There's... I'd say a hundred times more good than bad that can come from it. But unfortunately the media lately has drawn on some of the negative things and sure yeah. you can use That's anything. not like the media at all. The focus on the negative. No, hell no. They would never but do something like that. You can do, you can take anything as much as an ink pen and you could focus on the negative of how you could hurt someone with this. And so focus on the good, because I think for the greater good, there's a lot more it can do for us than the negative it could do for our business. Yeah, man. I mean, you should see some of the content that we're getting out of it. it is unbelievable. Um, I, for example, what we do is we take these interviews, we transcribe them, turn them into marketing books that clients use to you uh, all as lead generation tools. And one of the books that we recently made for a client, it made him cry reading his story. He said, "Kyle, I cried reading the way that this AI was able to tell me tell my story. It, it was able to to draw out that emotion in him." in a way that my writing personally cool. couldn't have come close to. Um, the quality of writing we're getting in these books is unbelievable. 100% written by AI. We input the, the, the script, like you said, the better the input, the better the output. Put the script in, the transcript from, from an interview. Uh, hopefully it's a good interview that uh, we got some good knowledgeable answers from, like this one, for example. Uh, and we turn that into a book that people use as a lead magnet that generates leads like nothing else could because there's that authority that a book creates. Do you have a book? Yeah, so I, I wrote a book about uh, mindset. It kind of okay. has a, a, a really on the base of golf, the sport of golf. And uh, I wrote it way before any AI stuff came out. And it took mm. me 10 years uh, through yeah. a lot of uh, some health issues, marriage, kids being born, yeah. moving a few times. And I just kept putting it on the back burner, but I digress. I published it. And just recently, I used ChatGPT to help me create a kid's book, which is it's not yet published, but I'm going to get to that. The illustrations are being done. Um, I, I probably invested about 14 to 15 hours of editing and kind of just working with the copy that I, I was producing and trying to reproduce into what I wanted. And now I'm using um, to create a book for my marketing framework. Uh, I'm using Google Docs, but I'm doing voice to text. And... I'm telling you what, I mean, honestly, in two weeks, I've got about 115 pages. It's almost done. And then it just really needs to be edited. And um, the editing part's going to take a lot of work. But nonetheless, I mean, you, you can create a book in no time and a really good high quality book yeah. using yeah. digital tools that most people would never have thought of. Yeah, no kidding, man. And uh, we're, we've got the tech down so nailed. It's We don't need any... We, okay, we, we have editors, but it's really just to make sure that the facts are straight so that we get that fact checking in there. The quality of the writing itself is, is unbelievable. We can create a book uh, out of a 60-minute interview like this that ends up being 80 pages that's... Uh, the best quality writing that I've ever read in terms of uh, a, a business book. Now that says a lot because I've read a lot of business books, but the quality of writing that we're getting out of this is, is let's say equivalent to a book that might've taken somebody four years to have written before. Now it takes a 60 minute interview to create. And so that's just amazing. It's incredible, man. And, and it's working like crazy as a lead magnet, especially on LinkedIn. Uh, we're giving it away as, as a lead magnet, leading them through the funnel from the book, giving it away for free. And the way that it's being positioned and helping people sell their product is unbelievable. Um, it's, it's truly amazing. So I'm excited as all hell to see where this goes, man. Uh, the whole AI thing is is absolutely stunning to me, um, and I've been using it for for 
I was an early adopter and I was using it a couple of years ago, uh, GPT-3, before 3.5 came out, before there was a whole interface that you could just easily type into. Um, you know, I've, I've been using it for quite some time. And uh, so we've got the tech down where it's, it's creating unbelievable content. And uh, yeah, you and you've have, built a business around it. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. And yeah, you could tell ChatGPT to write like Stephen King and it'll write like Stephen King, but it doesn't have that magic behind it. You know, you can kind of feel that something's right. a little off. So that last 5% was what took us the longest time. But now that we've got it, the, it's just, it makes people cry. I mean, what else can I say? It's, it's amazing, man. So it's amazing. Yeah, dude, it's incredible. Um, so back to you, brother, any, any last, uh, any questions I should have asked you, but didn't, or any last, uh, points of wisdom that, that you want to share? Hmm. You know, as I think about social media, the, the only thing I think we didn't really touch on today is uh, vertical video. Uh, mm -hmm. we did a little bit, but, um, I kind of do some of the, the same things you do with vertical video in my podcast. I don't have it quite as automated, but I do use some, some different tools to, to get the output with the vertical video. Yeah. Well, hell, we can help you out with the automation part of it because, uh, do you have a, do you use AI to split it up so that you just input the video and it split, gives you, let's say 10 social media clips per podcast? Um, for yeah, I videos. use a, a tool called Clap, K-L-A-P, which automatically does that. Oh, and yeah, then okay. um, I have another platform called Veed, which uh, you can make faceless videos. I, I've, I've worked at that a little bit. They're not nearly as successful as the, the videos that have your face or have a real person in them. But um, right. yeah, I, also I record all my podcasts with uh, Riverside. And then Riverside has something called Magic Clips, which will... Mm, okay, interesting. It's, yeah. it's okay. It's pretty good, but it's not great. It's a new tool. Um, otherwise, I will download in the vertical uh, 9x16 format, and then I'll, um, I'll edit them on my phone, and then I'll post them manually. So it works out pretty well. I mean, honestly, I, about an hour's time, I can have about 10 to 16 clips per episode. I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> I like to automate all of it. I, I lack the patience. Um, but yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting point is to focus on the vertical video is what you're saying. From what your experience is pointing you to, the, the testing that you've done is vertical video is getting you a lot of results right now. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a little quick story and why I think it's important is because both the platforms and the users on social media want vertical video. Um, just in, uh, in recent, really year and a half, TikTok is kind of eating Facebook's lunch, and I'd argue Instagram as well. That's where, and I, I'd even go as far as to throw YouTube in there. YouTube has, yeah. has made a bit of a comeback on the, the digital side because the kids that don't have social media have social media because most parents allow YouTube, and mm. YouTube has shorts, which a lot of kids like my nine-year-olds think shorts are TikToks. And they watch them like they watch TikTok. And so where I'm going with all of this is that so if you're posting a photo to Instagram, to Facebook, to LinkedIn, to Twitter, you're lucky if probably 7% of your followers see your content. And it's not your fault. It's the platform. That's, that's what the algorithms are set up to do. It's very much pay to play. However, if you're still doing that, and you're hoping for results, you're probably wasting both time and money. And that's what a lot of people do is they have a hope and pray strategy, which is not a strategy at all. What you need to do is you need to shift your resources and your time into video. And I mean, vertical video. So if your your phone is in the vertical sense and you're listening to this, you're like, what are you talking about? A vertical video is a Snapchat, it's a TikTok, it's a reel, it's a short, it's any of those things. And even platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter, which is now X, allow for vertical video posting, even though uh, LinkedIn and X do not have their own vertical video feed yet. Coming soon, by the way. Um, and why it's important is because I, I did this test with one of my profiles where I was asked to speak on stage in an event about vertical video and why it's important. And what I found was that I had a 6,000% plus greater reach on Instagram, as opposed to photo posts. And I had a 3000 plus percent greater uh, engagement rate with reels as opposed to photo posts. Mm -hmm. So the next slide was a big WTF is what are we doing, continuing to post traditionally the old fashioned way, when, you know, we're lucky if we get 10 likes on a post, which half of which are friends and family. So 
what I'm just imploring people to do is, you know, turn your camera on and create some thought leadership content, um, educate people, inspire them, empower them. That's what they want. And that is the, the greatest way, in my opinion, to start building authority and trust with your audience. Mm, I love it, man. I love it. So thanks for being here, man. I mean, hell, we've gone through pretty much the, the whole scope of, of the digital marketing campaign here. Yeah. Um, you know, you can leave this with, uh, with an idea of what to do, how to do it, and where to do it. Uh, in terms of what uh, digital real estate you want to take up. So, dude, yeah, thank you so much, man. You, uh, you, you helped us out like crazy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, before I leave you, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, if you'd like anything I had to say today, uh, feel free to check me out on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com backslash in backslash Chris B. Burns. There's two Bs okay. in the middle. Okay. I have my personal website, which is IamChrisBurns.com. There's a link there to book some time with me, link to my podcast, my book, a couple other things. And then um, all over, my podcast is Hustle Nation. So create a ton of content on YouTube. Uh, TikTok, it's Hustle Nation podcast as well, and about any other major platform. But uh, feel free to check me out. I'd love to connect with you, engage with you, and answer any questions you might have. Beauty, dude. All right. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. And if you want to get a free copy of my book, go to kylesbook.com and you can get a copy there. I'll talk with you soon.